Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome. Slightly delayed intro there, Mark. It's the Vet Podcast. It is Christmas Day, <laughs> December the 25th, 2019. Bar humbug is what I've got to say, Mark. Bar humbug to everybody. Um, why? But Well, for those of you who know the reference to Charles Dickens there and the Christmas Carol, I read a really interesting article about Charles Dickens recently, Mark, and I don't know whether you saw this particular article and it was talking about how he, how he wrote that famous a famous little novel there, and it's probably the most filmed and um, reproduced um, of all his books, uh, The Christmas Carol. And um, the article was talking about that he ended up being a bit of a, a Scrooge himself um, because the whole story was it, what, with it was that he um, originally, for most of his novels apparently, he, he re- released them in a serial form, which is what a lot of people did in the day there and it made them a lot more money doing it that way um so he'd release each chapter of his big novels um every every few weeks or every few months or so and people would be hanging out for the next chapter that was printed and um they would go out and purchase it but for the christmas carol he decided to produce it and release it in one book mark um and apparently it was only about three or four years after, and this is what, the 1840s, 1850s, something like that, um, when um, Christmas started to become popular as, as a bit of a festive season. And um, he decided to lock on to that and he, and he um, had his 6,000 or so um, books, um, copies of it published and they sold out um, very, very quickly. Um, and he was a bit annoyed because he he'd, he'd got pretty fancy with the colour plates and et cetera in there and he didn't make as much as he as he wanted to with it. Um, so um, a lot of people think that he is one of the people that um, really got Christmas going, but um, it was sort of the opposite. He actually sort of thought, oh, this looks like something I can make money on. <laughs> and um, he wrote the book. Um, but it's a fantastic book. I love all the – well, I love most variations of it. I don't think there's a bad one because it's such a good story um, about the Scrooge and the, the ghosts of Christmas. Um, so, yes, um, and then he got a little bit uh, – a little bit angry about things um, which I like to say <laughs> and he um, started saying that you know anybody who wants to talk about Christmas I'm going to basically shove some holly up there up their rear end um, so <laughs> it's a quite interesting article so if you do see that article Mark um, you should read it but um, apart from that um, Merry Christmas to all and um, a good new year and a safe 2020 and a happy 2020 hopefully to all our listeners, Mark, what have you got planned over the festive season? Well, it's it's um, Merry Christmas to you, Brendan, and Merry Christmas to everyone listening. Um, it's all about family for me, Brendan. Um, I I uh, I do I I have this little. I often say this to clients. Uh, you know, the little uh, patter that I begin consults with at the beginning of this year is to talk about what they're doing for Christmas and then to say that, um, you know, my I've gone through that cycle of the magic of young children and the awe and wonder of, of gifts and shiny things and now we're sort of the boys are in their 20s and, and it is more about just spending time and talking about things and um, getting together and we should do that all year round but it is sort of... Uh, nice that um, that we have some time to do it. And it's not all about the stuff. It's not all about the gifts. It's about spending time with people. So that's what I'm my, – my thing is just to make sure I connect with everyone who's here over the next week and, uh, and, uh, and make sure um, that I, I celebrate um, the people in my life. Like you, Brendan. Yes, it's – well, yes, it's less about the – Less about the presents, although 
If I don't get any decent presents this year, Mark, I tell you what, I won't be. I'll be grumpy as you know. Um, yes. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. And um, I've just given away the fact that we're actually recording this slightly before Christmas Day. Very, very close, but um, slightly before Christmas Day. So hopefully, I'm sitting back there. Um, what we tend to do, on, and you, yeah, you mentioned family. We we have the big family event at Annie's mother's. Um, place, Mark, and um, as you know, um, Annie's mother is the Italian nuna, and um, she does the full Italian Christmas spread, and oh, gee, it's fantastic. It's all the homemade. You know, you, you're full even before um, the main meal comes out, Mark. We have the gnocchi, we have the the homemade pasta and gnocchi, we have all the all the little um, platters of antipasta um, beforehand, and obviously a few a few merry drinks as well. And um, by the time the main meal comes out, the whatever they end up cooking, um, it's um, gee, it's hard to squeeze it down there. And my tradition, Mark, as you may or may not already know is um, by about um, two or three o'clock in the afternoon I tend to disappear into the lounge room and um, they usually find me asleep there on the couch. <laughs> so I have a little bit of a snooze um, after I've had had a bit of a feed and a few drinks and um, it's a good day is had by all. A bit, bit of post uh, a, crisp, a bit of Christmas postprandial somnolence is not a bad thing I don't think Brendan I think that's perfectly reasonable and acceptable. Yeah, so I look forward to that every year. So that's what I've got planned for the Christmas lunch, Mark. So, um, well, yeah, we should jump into, before people um, fall asleep, as usual, with our, uh, we do have a couple of reviews, don't we? Um, I think you have a review of a, of a movie, of a film. Um, what do you want to chat about? I do. I need to preface my review with the usual, you know, spoiler alert. Um, we're going to talk about something that maybe not everyone's seen yet, but I was lucky enough to be gifted by my, um, by my speaking of Christmas gifts, of, by my children, a the premiere of the new Star Wars movie, Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Um, and well, don't do any spoilers, Mark, because I, my, chances are I will be seeing it at some stage, so just, just talk generally. I will talk generally. I won't give any details away, but um, I've got to say that, oh, the you know, the CGI, the... The, uh, um, the 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 cinematography, the the way that the thing is filmed is uh, pretty awesome. I was pretty impressed by that. But I've got to say, Brendan, and you know, my I'm pretty accepting of um, of a bit of uh, uh, you know, I like to give some latitude to the quality of these movies. But I don't know this. Just the story was a bit trite and predictable and. I don't know, I was saying before that uh, I think, um, you know, Disney have bought the Lucasfilms franchise and they've sort of Disney-fied the ending of um, of Star Wars. I've got to tell you, I was a little bit, uh, well, maybe not quite disappointed, but a bit let down by the, the, uh, the, the final episode of the Trilogy of Trilogies. So... Um, I was I was leaving it an opening there for you to because um, I know you're a wonderful Star Wars and Star Trek. You're a bit of a nerd, Brendan, and you're across all that stuff. So I thought you'd throw a comment in there, but um, uh, but uh, no, it was um, the 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 characters were just a little bit one dimensional and a bit um, Disney-fied, a bit um, princes and princess evil, evil um, you know, absolute evil uh, fairy godmother. Maybe not exactly that role, but, you know, those characters, they were a bit um, predictable. Well, I'm not surprised, Mark, and I did throw a comment in there, but I was on mute <laughs> as usual. So. I try and keep it organised Merry, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Um, yes, I've, I must admit, apart, you know, I, we are, both of us obviously grew up as, as teenagers, I suppose, watching the original trilogy of the Star Wars films. And um, to me, I'll always remember those as being the best by far. And um, from there, it's been downhill. And, and yeah, I, I can see see where you're getting at with I have been watching all the, all the follow-up Star Wars main movies. Um, obviously, I haven't seen this one yet. And yes, I agree totally in that they have become what did you say? Disneyfied. Yes, they've, they've um, yeah. I think the writing is is 
is getting worse and worse and they're becoming more and more childlike. Um, but perhaps that's what the whole aim of it is and, and we're getting older and older. And the, and, maybe, and, it was, um, maybe it was all the, all the, us and we've, we were the ones who've changed. I don't know. I'll tell you the highlight yes. of the night, though, Brendan. Um, the theatre we went to uh, had six cinemas open at midnight, all packed, and I think they, they call themselves the 501st uh, um, sort of a, a cross between a bikey club and um, – and, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of nerds, and they were the whole theatre. One of those whole theatres was completely suited up in their Star Wars cosplay. There were there were about 70 stormtroopers, um, and, yeah, that was that was the impressive bit, seeing the, the, the zeal and passion and love these people have for, for like, the, the franchise and uh, how they've um, taken to it with, you know, so much vigor and um to show up at midnight in your uh, stormtrooper outfit and sit through the movie oh, that was a highlight that's pathetic Mark. <laughs> Have, haven't they got something better to do than that um they must have been using their thermoplastic um to oh, to yeah. construct their construct their cosplay outfit so what did you wear Mark? <laughs> I was just in my jeans and t-shirt. <laughs> yes, that is, now that is pathetic. Yes, no. There, there, there were some people there in their pajamas. <laughs> Probably a good idea at, at midnight um, because um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I was there. I'd probably fall asleep. Um, so. Well, the important bit, Mark, um, you need to give it a score out of ten. Obviously. Oh, I was only ranking this one in at a seven point two. 7.2. Well, that's still not a bad score. Um, you're, you're a bit too generous, I think, for, for um, than you, you should think, be. You don't think I've got a career in rating, in review? No, no. Ever, everything's at least good um, um, to to great. Yes. No. You need to you need to pick something. Into that's that's your object. My 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 um Use my challenge solution. for you for. Yeah, challenge in 2020. Uh, you have to pick something to review that you give a pretty crappy review, okay. Mark. <laughs> well, I've got a review, but it's something completely different, Mark. Um, it is, and it probably explains a lot, Mark. Um, it, it is a book. Uh, I don't know whether you've read this one. I'm, I'm just grabbing it, picking it up now. I'll probably whack the microphone with it. It is The Art of Happiness. A handbook for living, and um, I'd expect that you'd have that somewhere. Um, co-written by, uh, well, it was written by Howard C. Cutler, who's a psychiatrist, and co-written um, or spoken by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. So um, it's it's a great book, and I've slowly been trudging through this one. We've had it on the shelf for several years, and Annie read it. My wife read it um, several years ago when we first purchased it, and I've just had it sat on the little. The little table next to where I sit in the in the back room there, Mark, and I'll just pick it up every now and again and read a few more pages. And gee, it's a it's a good book. It is a very good book. Do you have this? Book? It is just like you. I've got a little um, location where I keep a stash of uh, half a dozen books that I'm about to read, and it is one of the ones there. So I'm really keen for your review. You've got to get into it, Mark. And um, yeah, I just find it. Well, I found it quite uplifting, even though it talks about um, how to cope with um, suffering and um, that that humans are designed to suffer um, and how we deal with that suffering is important and finding meaning in pain and suffering and how you change and how you deal with anger and and hatred. Um, But um, I think the first chapter really sort of summarised it and it's, um, it's a whole, it's basically a, a text that um, this psychiatrist just interviewed um, the Dalai Lama over several months or perhaps several years, and he just has, has these long chats to him um, about various aspects of the meaning of life, basically. And, and the first chapter is has the, the very first line is saying that, um, and this is a quote from the Dalai Lama, I believe that the very purpose of our life is to seek happiness. And I think that sums it up really well. And um, it's a very uplifting book, Mark, and it... And it um, it, it, it explains some amazing philosophy about how to cope with all the crap that's happening in the world and all the, the angst that's happening. And um, I, th- I think when it, whenever I think of all those angry people out there, Mark, that, that you often deal with <laughs> day to day, and um, perhaps your clients aren't as angry at you as they are at me, but um, it just 
it just gives me a bit of calm. I'm just thinking that, hey, you know, you just sit back and you show compassion. And, and one of the big things about the whole the whole text is chatting about compassion and how to deal with um, and how to feel compassion for strangers, which I think is a really interesting concept um, in that, you know, people, I think a lot of us these days we tend to assume that um, everybody's an enemy, don't we? Um, whether it's sitting in a in a in a at, at a traffic stop at the lights, you know, you look across to the people next to you and you think, "Gee, I've got to beat them to the to the lane change," um, and that you should be treating everybody as a friend, not as an enemy, and not as a competition. And um, once you sort of start doing that, and I have been trying, Mark, I have been well. My, Annie says I'm very trying, but I have been trying very hard to sort of practice this sort of aspect um, with with my approach to things. And I think it works, Mark. Um, I think it works. You just sort of um, it makes you feel a bit more chilled about life and about um, things in general. So I've I've been loving this little book, and I haven't quite got to the end of it. Um, I don't know whether there's a punchline at the end. Let me just have a look what the last chapter <laughs> is called. It says um, the last chapter is dealing with anxiety and building self-esteem. Um, oh no, that's then. There's a part five after that, um, which is just about basic spiritual values. So yes, um, yes, I haven't quite got to the chapter on dealing with anger and hatred, Mark. And I think uh, a few of our listeners should would probably recommend I jump to that chapter very quickly. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. So I, I thoroughly recommend this book. And it's not just about, well, what hoodoo guru sort of um, um, Buddhist philosophy. Um, I, th- I I love the approach he has to things. And Jane, my eldest daughter, was, was lucky enough to go to a, a, um, a sit-in at, at one of the big convention centres. Um, she was selected from her school to go and meet the Dalai Lama, not personally, but actually go and see one of his little, little, um, or his big speeches. And, um, she, she came back from that just amazed at how, how happy and calm this person seemed and, and the philosophy he had and the, and the approach he has to, to the world in general, Mark. So yeah, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So I think it's something you should think about jumping into Good and, and reading, your Mark. Rating, Brendan? I'm going to go out on a limb here and go oh 8.7 <laughs> for this one. It's um, a very good, very good text. So it's it's very highly rated, 8.7. Um, so uh, it may even jump up a bit higher than that once I've once finished the last few chapters. But um, And if that's the case, I'll get back to you about that and our listeners. So, yeah, there we go. The Art of Happiness, a handbook for living. So um, for Christmas 2020, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a good book. <laughs> um, it's a bit late for this year, but, um, yeah, you might want to consider it, purchasing it for um, one of your angry, angry um, staff members um, is what <laughs> I'd suggest to our listeners. <laughs> I've got this vision of your office desk with a pile of about eight of them on it. <laughs> Yes, um, shut up and read this um, as I throw it at them and um, stop annoying me and um, have a bit of compassion. Um, I've got a headache today. I've got a hang. I've got a hangover. And um, leave me alone and go and read this book. Yes. So let's jump into our news, Mark. Um, I think you've got the first one, and it's um, su- surprise, surprise. It's about birds. It is. It is. I know that you'd be shocked, but this is um, uh, from the uh, news service MRCBS Online, um, and so it's a, a UK-focused story about um, starlings. Starlings are one of my – they're a bit of a complicated bird. We actually have a few clients that have pet starlings. They're excellent mimics. They're a little bit difficult to feed, and they often end up with keratopathies as a consequence of inappropriate diets. But they're great pets. They make great pets. And surprisingly enough, they have exquisitely beautiful plumage. Um, So I'm highly interested in them. But this story tells about an episode in in Wales, in Anglesey, where um, there was a a, a mass mass uh, die-off and where what, three what was the name of the um, town, Mark? Um, I'm just trying to find <laughs> it. <laughs> You're an evil man. Lynn, um, I'm just pronouncing it phonetically, I'm sure, that um, in Welsh it doesn't, you know how the letters don't actually line up. Lynn Llewellyn and Bo- <laughs> at Bo Durden. 
Somewhere in Wales. 300, <laughs> 300 starlings were uh, found dead, mainly on the side of the road. Um, and it does sound like um, it's a little bit of a complicated case. Um, they were originally found, the initial uh, post-mortem examinations suggested that there was um, some hemorrhage and then it was thought that that hemorrhage, you know, obviously is that associated with uh a rodenticide toxicity, but then the hemorrhage was thought to be maybe uh, um, traumatic, that the birds were ataxic before they died and they bumped into things and crashed to the ground. They still, as yet, haven't found a specific uh, cause and the toxicology is um, still in process. But the thing I really enjoyed about this article was comparing it to what happens here in Australia, Brendan. We are very lucky to have a wildlife pathology service and the story associated with the the Bellinger River turtle is a classic one where veterinarians can report to uh, this pathology service any mastiles um, and there is a, a, a... um, facility for uh, diagnostic testing that um, uh, that will often uh, result in very quickly in uh, identifying the nature of the problem. And while lots of these uh, types of events are attributed to um, malicious issues like the wedge-tailed eagles in northern Victoria, um, there, a vast number of them actually involve uh, uh, new diseases or new disease process or changed epidemiology of existing disease processes. And so veterinarians are right in the middle of this and should um, make it their business to be aware. Um, and I think we're lucky here in Australia, at least, that um, we have access to resources like the Wildlife Pathology Service that um, that uh, can do this stuff for us uh, and coordinate it and ensure that there's a very, very prompt response to these mastiles. So I'll be looking, uh, while this update uh, um, listed the total number and the the difficult-to-pronounce location, um, I am looking forward to the final um, interpretation of what happened to these birds, Brendan. So... My question is, what do you think? It's a bizarre photo, isn't it, um, of that laneway <laughs> in in Wales and all these birds just spread eagle dead um, along that road there, Mark. So do you have any theories, Mark? I, I think that um, whenever there's a, a mass die-off like this, I tend initially to look towards uh, a toxin, and the most common sorts of toxins would be, you know, uh, um, potentially natural ones, fungal toxins, or you know, the, there certainly are human generated and sometimes malicious ones. But the vast majority of these die offs are associated with fungal or bacterial toxins that are elaborated um, and unusual circumstances of weather or, um, uh, or you know, someone ploughing the field and exposing something that hadn't been exposed for a while. These are the sorts of things that I think are most likely to trigger it off. So it'd be interesting to see in the end, though. Yes, it's a um, it's a weird one. It's like something out of um, Midsummer Murders, um, the series, um, the English series about um, the town that there's always a murder there. And um, do you watch that show, Mark? I have been known to watch it every once in a while, Brendan. Kate, yeah. Kate, Kate. We'll never miss an episode. Yes. Um, I'd expect that to happen on the Midsummer Green, um, Mark. Um, that's where you'd find all those deaths there. And, yes. and maybe, well, you're, first... maybe you're onto something there, Brendan. Maybe uh, after the entrepreneurship of the podcast, you should move into um, selling the idea of um, a Midsummer, Midsummer murder in the veterinary field where forensic veterinarians wander around the country and solve these uh, uh, mass die-offs with, you know, the appropriate drama and English accents. Oh, they just need to follow me around. There's plenty of mass die-offs at my practice, Mark. (laughs) Well, my first news story, or should I say a moose story, Mark, um, is about cows and their unique way of communicating. And it's quite a cute little story, this one, Mark. Um, They know 
that um, they've 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 determined they, as in the experts, have determined that pigs, sheep, and goats all have individual voices dis- distinguishing each individual from the herd. And this week, and it was at the University of Sydney, Mark have added cows to the list. Um, and Alexander Green sp- has spent hundreds of hours using headphones, a large shotgun microphone, and carefully recording the moos of a small herd of Holston Frisian heifers, Mark, um, at the University of Sydney's Camden campus. And um, I think his friends think he's a little bit weird, but um, aren't we all, Mark? And they initially, they were concerned that um, they weren't individual, These um, the, the vocalisations of each, each cow, mainly because they think um, that they cannot... They cannot. They have a lot less space between the larynx and the lips, according to the article, so they have a lot less muscles to be able to control the tongue and the lips, so they don't have the power to coordinate it all with their brain as well, apparently, says one Helen Fraser. They determine that they all have individual characteristics, and they have determined that each individual cow has an individual voice, and we all have individual voices, don't <laughs> we, Mark? <laughs> Uh, the bottom line of this article, I love the last paragraph, Mark. Um, we know animals do experience emotions, says Professor Fisher. It is hard for us to gain direct insight into that, but they do have emotional lives. Frustration, rage, enjoying pleasure. They have friendships and there are social hierarchies involved. So there we go, Mark. Um, we have found out what the moo means in that each individual cow does have their <laughs> own voice. And we're all individuals, we aren't are we? We're all individuals. Um, do you think that um, that they, that there could be a you know a quality of life measure that that maybe um, understanding the tone and intonation and the, the that fine detail could maybe help assess their quality of life? Do you think? Do you think this would be where they take it? Yeah, absolutely, and, and use it as a method to determine also you know pain responses and those sorts of things. And I. I think you need to take it into consideration with with also visually looking at the animal, wouldn't you? Um, not just not just looking at the record or listening to the recordings of the sound there, um, and and putting those two things together. Um, what is the animal doing at the time? What what other other visual cues and and um, also the sound of the animal, you can be able to determine, hey, this cow's not happy, or this cow is happy, um, and we need to do something about it. Well, let's jump into the next news story, Mark. Um, the power of unusual animal friendships. Speaking well, of this friendships, one's from the Mother Nature Network, Brendan, and um, and it, to be honest, it um, well, it leaves me a little bit riled up in a sense, and I'll tell you why. Um, the article talks about uh, what researchers might be able to learn about human relationships by studying um, odd couples. Animal odd couple animal friendships, the power of unusual animal friendships. Now, the reason... So let's just focus on the article first. Um, the article just uh, uh, looks at, um, the, you know, the circumstances that we often see on the net, um, and the photos give us some indication of the tone with an uh, African elephant and a giraffe at, um, at one of the unnamed zoos that like to spend a lot of time together over the fence. Um, there's uh, pictures of, um, of, of uh, sheep and alpacas, uh, the sheep and llamas. And um, so the, the, um, the whole process of this article, in my mind, is, um, is leveraging the, the study of the social interactions between these animals um, to, to, you know, make interpretations uh, about um, human relationships. But the problem for me is that the, it, there's two big ones. The first one is the, the whole artificiality of these relationships, that I don't think they're healthy for the animals involved. I know they make for cute pictures like the squirrel and the scrub wren, um, but I, I think they represent uh, an extreme example of us not understanding what is good for animals. And I think lots of these animals that form, in inverted commas, unusual friendships are actually um, displaying relatively stressful behaviour um, that's 
uh, come about because of human intervention, where the normal socialisation of those animals is disturbed, where their behaviour is forced into unusual situations for the benefit of human emotion. So I feel uncomfortable about the whole process of, you know, the, the bloody giraffe and elephant in the zoo. Um, they're, they're expressing unusual friendships because they're unable to express normal friendships. Um, and I do understand that um, as we study these things and how they develop, that might teach us, that might give us certain insights into what happens about relationships. Um, but I just, the, the ethics of allowing that to happen and not seeing it as a distressing and, you know, as a symptom of the failure of the mental health of those animals, it just, it worries me a whole lot, Brendan. I can't really expand on that anymore, Mark. I think it's a pretty ordinary <laughs> article and, um, yeah, I, I don't know why but I gave I, it I to do. you to read out. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Um, yeah, um, the more I look yeah, at it. Yeah, I know that the whole thing online, I often come across photographs online of, you know, um, uh, the classic one is a, a, a large black and white dog or tricolored dog with a rabbit. You know, it's got its paw over the rabbit, and the caption is, "You know, my my wonderful pets are yeah, best, best friends. friends." And the rabbit's yeah. like freaking out because it's about it feels like it's about to be eaten by the dog, and it's behaving like the most freaked out rabbit, just frozen, trying to not be a prey item. Um, and um, and the people are admiring the cute you know, complimentary coat patterns um, uh, just breaks my heart. Breaks my heart, Brendan. Yes. And lots of little YouTube clips of, like, I think they've got one there, the the, the cockatoo feeding the, the dog. Um, and, oh, yeah, it's um, very cringeworthy, isn't it, Mark? Um, some of these. Um, yes, uh, bar humbug is all I've got to say about that. Well, my last news article, Mark, is something a little bit more uplifting, although it wasn't very uplifting for the eagle, um, which tried to catch a an octopus. Um, so it tried to grab something that it, <laughs> that, um, it didn't realise that um, it um, would be bested <laughs> by. Um, so um, a bald eagle and an octopus met at the water surp- surface and it didn't go well. So a group of salmon farmers who witnessed and took a video of this, um, and we'll have the link to it, in Canada, were returning to their float house off the northwest tip of Canada's Vancouver Island when they heard screeching and splashes and they discovered a full-size eagle almost submerged as an octopus was attempting to drag it down. So the eagle had obviously tried to, um, it was doing a bit of fishing and um, it had snapped up this octopus and um, realised that it had, um, well, it had tried to grab something that um, it was a bit more than a match for it, Mark. Um, and the good news is, it is a good news story, this one. Um, the the um, the farmers, the um, salmon farmers uh, managed to sort of net it, um, pull it to, towards the boat and um, the octopus quickly released the the bird um, and the octopus went back to doing octopusy things and um, they watched the bird um, rest on a nearby branch for 10 minutes or so before it flew away. So hopefully it's learned something there um, from don't attack octopuses, Mark. Um, so I've got a question for you, Brendan. This this article also upsets me because, <laughs> <laughs> because the fishermen, oh, one of them told CNN rather – with rather more self-awareness than I give them credit for. Um, Am I at fault because I'm human and I felt compassion for the bird? At the end of the day, both animals are alive and well and they went their separate ways and we feel pretty good about what we did. Well, I've got a question for them, Brendan, and you. Because that stupid bald eagle made a poor decision at prey selection and survived it, and now we'll go on to breed and produce more stupid bald eagles that <laughs> make poor decisions about prey items. Has those people actually caused more suffering and interfered with the development of the gene pool? And at the same time, they've taken an octopus who uh, had, you know, fought immensely well to obtain a very, very uh, um, superior prey item, um, ready to drag it to the depths and consume it. Um, now that octopus has gone hungry, expended a whole lot of energy fighting off a predator and turning it into prey, um, and 
uh, in its exhaustion may well be eaten by uh, a um, you know groper at the bottom of the ocean. They've interfered with nature, and that uh, they don't get a pass from me, mate. Mark, chapter seven: the value and benefits <laughs> of, of compassion. Uh, I. I, I I suggest you go to Chapter 7, um, page 113, okay, The Art of Happiness. Okay, I've got, I've got the, the reference. I'm onto it. Well, if you look earlier in that article, Mark, he, he, that salmon farmer, John, um, did say, we weren't sure if we should interfere because it is Mother Nature, survival of the fittest. So I think that's what you're getting at there, Mark. And, um, yes, um, yeah, well, I can't argue with your reasoning there, Mark, but... Um, Bit more compassion, as all I've got to say. <laughs> okay, and, and this time of the year, we need to be um, a little bit, a little bit more, um, a little bit more um, relaxed about things and understanding, um, because everybody's running around crazy. I don't know about up at your region, Mark, but um, if I have to head down to the the main bank in the big shopping centre. Um, People are going nuts um, and there's a road rage happening in the car parks and um, even within the stores, everybody's on edge, Mark, and you think, gee, Merry Christmas to you all. Um, what's What's gone wrong, Mark? Geez, I'm impressed what that book's done to you, Brendan. <laughs> That's right. Yes, you need to you need to get in there and read it. Okay. Well, we we don't really have a main topic, Mark. So um, although you did suggest one, so you might want to um, we might want to spend a few minutes on on this um, as part of our Christmas special. I think you wanted to chat about the things that we sometimes see over the Christmas period with our pets um, that are all pets that are brought into our clinic and how to avoid some of the. Some of the emergencies, I suppose, I think you mentioned that that happen at this time of the year. Um, I want to uh, mention one that I can't remember whether I've mentioned this one before in a in a podcast, and it was this time of the year that it happened way back in the first practice I ever I ever worked in, Mark. And this was a a man came rushing into the clinic and said, "Help me, help me! I've I think I've killed my dog." I think I have mentioned this, but it was many podcasts ago, and it was a German Shepherd, um, and he every day or every weekend, because I think it was on a, on a Saturday morning, he came in, he would practice his golf swing with his German Shepherd in the backyard, Mark, um, and I think you know what's going to happen here. Um, so he had one of those little nets that you'd have where you'd uh, put your little tee and your golf ball um, into the, into the grass, and then he would practice his driver, and he'd and he'd do a full on swing um, and hit the ball into the net, um, and his beloved German Shepherd would would then go and fetch the ball for him from the net and bring it back to him, and he'd set it up again on the tee, and, and he'd have another crack at practicing his swing there, Mark, and um, he'd done this for many weeks, if not many months or many years, with the dog, and for some. Who knows what reason the dog decided to retrieve the ball just as he was coming on his downswing, Mark, um, and he literally smacked this ball with his his golf club head um, into the head of the dog, um, and it just collapsed in front of him, and he bundled the dog into the back of his ute, um, his his car, his tray truck, and um, brought it to the clinic and rushed in, and I. I um, followed him back out into the car park and um, helped him carry the dog into the consultation room. And, and yes, it, it had this perfectly sort of um, impression of, of a golf um, club, a driver in in the in the skull of the um, of of the dog, um, and a depressed fracture there. And it was still the dog was still twitching um, for for probably another minute or two, but yeah, he'd um, he'd killed his dog, so that's my Christmas story. <laughs> uh, um, so it's um, it's not Christmassy at all, um, and it's not uplifting at all. Um, so, uh, and I don't know why that one popped into my head, Mark. But um, oh, because you're going to talk about emergencies I that am, happen this time. I am. Yeah, that's right. So, so yes. So that's my introduction. So away you and, go, Mark. <laughs> and I, I don't know how it missed my list, but um, but uh, golf ball injuries to the cranium is is not one of the 12 common dangers we see at uh, Christmas time. And and I think this is a useful thing, particularly, and the, our overseas guests will have to forgive me, our overseas listeners, because um, we are going to focus on Australia. But I think some of these things are a little bit universal. And I suppose my, um, 
I've made a sort of list of a, of a dozen things that I would normally um, ask my staff to be aware of as emergencies come in, and um, and uh, and I definitely, I suppose, I can stretch the second one um, because your story is very reminiscent of the whole stick thing. We regularly see people this time of year with um, daylight savings and holiday time get their dogs out a lot more and and grab a few sticks and toss them. Their border collies and German shepherds will retrieve them and bring them back. Uh, but more than once we've had those sticks spear into the ground and the dogs jump on the resulting stake and uh, do damage to the the uh, back part of their mouth and develop a whole lot of uh, uh, infection and uh, abscess material. And sometimes if it's left, they can, um, they can definitely uh, get into trouble with... Um, uh, persistent foreign bodies and uh, often uh, they need to get to the point where complex imaging is required to get those little splinters and things out of the, the muscles and soft tissue at the back of the uh, the throat. Um, so this is one situation, you know I'm a big plastic averse person trying to save the environment, uh, but I think um, uh, things like... Um, uh, um, you know, the, the frisbees or tennis balls for them to fetch rather than um, spiky sticks or maybe a, a stick that's had the engine ends, ends rounded off and so it doesn't spear into the ground. They're things that uh, might be a little bit better to go with. So that's my first one, Brendan, and I think I can put the stick story, I can draw your golf club uh, tragedy um, into the stick compartment. Watch out for sticks with dogs at Christmas time. And another, well, a, a directly related Christmas problem, Mark, do you see many, I suppose it's cats I've seen predominantly that have eaten the the baubles and all the all the tinsel off the trees and end up um, having obstructions or partial obstructions and you have to try and extract bits Definitely of tinsel from, from a cat? for us at this time of year. And I just reckon, I don't know whether it's our suburb, but um, uh, maybe people have been reading your... Um, book Brendan and they're much happier and and they're putting a lot more lights and tinsel on their front fence and um, trying to you know get into the Christmas spirit and um, and so there are an increased number of uh, definitely cats but also dogs who uh, are being presented with signs of partial obstruction or um, you know the cats will often uh, end up with a linear foreign body and so yes uh, definitely a thing to watch out for. Try and arrange your uh, your tinsel, your shiny, playful things that the cats might eat in such a way that they can't easily get to them and you're made aware, you know, the whole tree falls over if the cat gets the tinsel. So at least you know that they've been playing with it because, crikey, it's a, it's a frustrating... Often happens around Christmas time and then a you know, it's a few days later when they're off their food and then a few days later once the radiographic evidence of linear foreign bodies with placation of the intestine is apparent. Um, so, yeah, being aware, arranging the decorations so that they can't be in a situation where the animals can play with them, eat them, swallow them, break them, all that sort of stuff. Yes, I, fa- I find the challenge with these, Mark, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on it, is when do you decide that we need to take this to surgery or when do we just sit and wait and, and think that perhaps this is going to pass through um, regardless of sort of what diagnostics you do? I mean, it might be obvious on, on the clinical exam or, or on radiograph um, that we've got something that's a bit of a mess in there that we have to re- remove. Um, and you know, the one that re- I can relate to recently when you're talking about plastic is I had a, um, a guinea pig owner come in a couple of days ago where the guinea pig, and this is a very good guinea pig owner and this is a relatively new um, animal to their collection, um, that for some strange reason decided to eat the whole um, label off a, a water bottle, so um, um, a, a Mount Franklin brand um over here in Australia, um, um, water label um, from a plastic bottle, so that it, it had somehow managed to to rip off the whole label of of that um, plastic bottle and um, eaten it into pieces. Um, I'd expect and, and swallow it uh, on clinical examination. It was, it was bright as a button, and it, and it had eaten it the previous day. And we're at the moment we're just sitting and waiting um, to see what happens with that one, and hopefully it passes out bits of 
bits of a label, bits of plastic um, out the other end. So um, what's your general um, rules of thumb for, for do we sit and wait? Do we help push things through? Do we just treat the animal as normal if it's behaving normal and, and worry if it becomes well, abnormal? I really this, it's funny, it's almost like ESP because this has been a question that's played on my mind clinically quite a bit lately. Um, I've been aware of a number of cases where people, where, where colleagues have um, have leapt in emergency fashion to do a, a uh, um, laparotomy and, and uh, enterotomy to get to a gastrointestinal foreign body and um, and an animal has subsequently uh, developed aspiration pneumonia. Um, you know, in the post-operative period, they had some gut stasis, not a surprise, and and so then had a quite serious um, sequelae. And maybe that that material was going to pass through. The as you said, the animal wasn't um, showing any uh, significant clinical signs. It was just the knowledge that it had been ingested. And I think a lot of you know, whether it's dogs or guinea pigs or rabbits. A lot of the indigestible foreign material they eat, um, I'm sure they break down, the majority of them break it down into tiny pieces um, that often are going to go all the way through and give us give us some glittery, plastic-laden, tinsel-laden um, uh, uh, droppings to pick up but um, and may slay the process but, but often pass all the way through. So I'd, there's no clear answer, Brendan. I think sometimes you, it's damned if you do and damned if you don't. I try because it's because I have a naturally conservative attitude to these things and I'm often happy to sit and watch um, I do try and be a little bit more proactive and as at the very first instance of any clinical sign that might be negative, I decide to go in. But um, but I don't think you're wrong for watching and waiting at all. I don't think I answered your question at all, to be honest. Um, no, you did. It's, it's probably what I do in that it's... Uh, I struggle as well. I think, um, and, and I, I tend, if anything, I tend to, I tend to sit and wait, and not jump in unless it's particularly indicated. And I know one of my, one of my lecturers at university, um, you know, always tended to stress is that um, you know you try not to take an animal to surgery unless you know it needs surgery. And um, as a general rule, it applies. Although there are exceptions on there, Mark, that you think, gee, I'm glad I got in there. <laughs> and if this animal but the, the need for, but I would also emphasise that the need for surgery. Then that, that's a great phrase because the need for surgery is not necessarily um, that I can see there's a obstructing foreign body. Um, the need for surgery just might be that I need to have a much closer look. And so I always want to, you know, whether it's um, the vets I work with, the clients, or anyone listening now, a laparotomy that doesn't reveal a foreign body or. Um, you know, something that you can hold in front of the client is still useful. Absolutely. It's a diagnostic tool. And I, and I think the name of yes. it is exactly what what it should, what we need to concentrate on, exploratory laparotomy. So we're exploring, we're having a bit of a look, um, we're poking around in there and, and done correctly. It's not necessarily a failure if if you don't find anything um, because you might end up doing biopsies or confirming that it isn't an obstruction um, that you were concerned about. And, you know, one of the, another case, a little bit off topic, but probably a good one to chat about it for, for Christmas again, is um, many, many years ago at that same practice that I was working at, we referred a we referred a um, an emergency case. Um, well, actually, no, it wasn't emergency. It was a chronic. It was a chronic intermittent vomiting Rottweiler mark, um, which is probably a good one to refer <laughs> anyway um, <laughs> to the university hospital. Um, and this was in the days when there was probably only two emergency clinics here in Melbourne, Australia. One was the university, and one was the original animal emergency centre. And we referred it to the um, the university hospital because it was just not getting better. I'd done um, plain radiographs. I'd done barium studies. I think I had performed blood screens and faecal checks as well. And I just couldn't narrow it down. Um, 
I was still suspicious that there may have been a bit of a foreign body going on there, um, and I referred it on, um, but they were adamant. They, they were taking the strict university line that you do not open an animal up unless you confirm um, that you need to um, perform actual intestinal surgery on this animal, and they kept delaying. They did advanced imaging on the animal. Um, they did multiple I think further um, contrast studies on it as well, had it on a drip. Um, it was in the days when we saw lots of parvovirus cases, Mark, um, if yeah. you remember that. Um, and um, so they were suspicious that still it may have been a, a, a parvo case that just needed fluid support and, and, and supportive care. Um, it ended up going to necropsy um, because it did end up dying in, in the pathology department um they did the full necropsy and they did find a linear foreign body um and then the owner suddenly realized that hey yes um the owner's wife um was missing a pair of her big underpants um <laughs> that, the, that the rottweiler had um grabbed off the washing line and had chewed up into um, various pieces including sort of this linear body there and and even at the university they didn't manage to to um, detect the subtleties on on the radiographs and the contrast radiography that an ultrasound that they'd done there, Mark. So um, that would would have been a classic case that if we just had of thought, even including myself, of of doing an exploratory laparotomy, um, perhaps we could have saved the dog's life. And look, I wouldn't. I don't. You, it's like I said, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And you can always find those cases where you have. Um, elected to go down one path and um, and things don't work out the way that we want them to, you can only make that decision the best you can at the time. But I definitely would emphasise that um, I don't think you're ever wrong for having a look. Um, if you get to the point where you think you need to, then do it. Don't be worried that you don't find that, you know, you have to find something every single time. Yep, and I think that's as as we get older and perhaps a little bit more wiser, Mark, sometimes, um, it's that whole art of veterinary science, isn't it? it it's just having that gut feeling um, that I think this particular case is one that we need to get in there and do the surgery. Um, and it's almost like a hunch, isn't it? But um, it's amazing how many um, over time when you just get the feel for, yeah, I know this particular case is probably this condition, even though we've eliminated a whole lot of other possibilities Based on our diagnostics, and we haven't um, we haven't narrowed it down completely. It's that whole art of veterinary science and and um, experience, I suppose, um, with dealing with it. Now, getting back to the sort of Christmas, um, sorry, Mark, <laughs> Christmas good. emergence yep, yep. emergencies. Um, do you see what's your recommendations and and what sort of um, ingestion problems you see with with those animals that are accidentally or maybe not accidentally fed things that they shouldn't be eating over the over the festive period well there's a group of them as you are leading me into um and uh, i'll quickly run through we have obviously fatty foods we want to avoid you know the the uh, there's always that relative at christmas dinner who hears you say don't feed the that my dog any barbecue scraps don't feed them turkey skin don't feed them pork crackling because they've had an episode of pancreatitis and that uncle who sits there nodding while he's secretly passing the the uh the food under the table to the dog we've all got one in the family like that brendan um and uh so it is a important thing just to make sure um that uh, you're aware uh, where your animals are and what they're eating because, geez, it's a very common thing for us to look at that CPLI uh, on uh, the day after Boxing Day and find that we've got uh, one of those positive results and uh, we've got a dog that's in the prayer position um, and uh, demonstrating significant abdominal pain and some vomiting. So fatty foods is the first one. Sultanas and grapes yes. my next one. Um, the uh, wheat... I can't believe how often um, we I talk to people and they go, my dog eats lots of grapes or sultanas. Um, and when I tell them that they are potentially toxic, they go, no way, no, that's not possible because my dog eats heaps of them. And then I have to explain um, that we don't know what the toxic agent is. And what we do know is that there's lots of dogs who will slip into acute renal failure, um, even though they've eaten grapes. Uh, uh, grapes or sultanas or grape products of one sort or another um, and so uh, just avoid letting your dog eat grapes raisins or sultanas and of course at christmas time 
Christmas pudding here in Australia, a very commonly uh, uh, used dessert, um, is a rich source of raisins and sultanas. And so um, just everyone should keep their dog away from that, away from it at all. Um, obviously, um, uh, chocolate is one of my favourite things, um, and um, uh, particularly dark chocolate with the uh, the, uh, um, the uh, caffeine-like chemicals, bromine and whatnot, um, it's very likely to lead to uh, the, the uh, cardiac complications, and so it's very good to make sure the dogs don't get any access to that. And it's always the case that someone leaves it on a bench, the dogs get inside and knock it over, and it's always the dark chocolate they get to and um and so being aware where that is and putting it up high so the dogs can't get it particularly when the kids have access to chocolate is a good thing we have macadamia nuts all around the world now but here in australia is where they originally come from um and uh, they are beautiful to eat and uh, dogs will definitely get stuck into them they are toxic to dogs and cause a a, a real um it's a little bit of a quizzical syndrome with um, uh, hind limb lameness, sometimes obscure pain and weakness. Um, uh, they uh, they can sometimes get to the point of um, being paralysed. They mimic some of the signs of tick paralysis, so you've got to be careful. They tend not to be um, uh, particularly... Um, uh, they tend not to have the same problems with their breathing, but both those conditions are variable and, and you should keep both of them on your map until you actually find a tick or confirm the ingestion. Um, the macadamia nuts can also, like physically, pack in and cause a gastrointestinal obstruction. Um, Ma, Kate will, um, will no doubt do the typical Australian thing, and that is... Uh, cook a, a series of roast vegetables for lunch on one of the hottest days of the year. We have that particular perk where we uh, um, love standing in front of a hot oven cooking roast veggies when it's really hot outside. Um, and, of course, yeah. you'll um, uh, garnish them with uh, onions and garlic. And those uh, those particular plants, of course, uh, both two um, cats and dogs, both our uh, uh, common pets will uh, trigger anemia um, if they eat enough of them. They damage the red cells. Um, and so uh, making sure that dogs don't get access to barbecue. I think you've hit most of the common ones, but I'm sure we'll have an odd, odd email or three <laughs> of our listeners um, saying, look, you didn't chat about X or Y, um, although they're probably in a bit of a Christmas stupor, um, listening to our podcast and falling asleep after their Christmas lunch, Mark, So, um, which is not a bad thing as long as, they, as long as they're nice and compassionate to everybody <laughs> and that they um, – that they enjoy themselves but not enjoy themselves too much, Mark. So, um, no, I don't think there's anything particular. Um, you know, heat stroke, I suppose, here in the Southern Hemisphere and with those heat waves that we've been experiencing early, earlier than usual here in Australia, and I expect that they'll continue into January, February or March. So people leaving their animals in cars, which... Um, um, I'm sure you've had a few over the years, Mark, and they're, they're horrific, aren't they? Those 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 animals that have been cooked um, in the cars that they they still come in alive. But um, I've I've found that a lot of the ones that I've I've um, experienced they've um, been pretty far gone when they've been brought in, and um, I've, I've struggled see, to uh, to keep them alive and um, end up um, either dying or, or euthanizing them. Do you see many of them, or have you seen many of them? Uh, dogs kept in cars. It's really it's one of the most distressing cases we get to see because um, often the people have made a, you know, it's not a deliberate thing. They've been confused and made a mistake and uh, error in judgment, whatever. But they, you know, and then they're heartbroken and it's a horrible. As you said, the dogs are often dead already. They're dead in terms of they're not going to make it, but they're suffering horribly when they come into the hospital and. Um, and yeah, and there are. It's one of those cases where um, we aggressively treat them, but if they're not turning around very quickly, it's sometimes the right thing to do to euthanize them because they are genuinely suffering. Well, 
We need to finish on a high, and that's not a particularly good high there, Mark, but um, we'd just like to thank all our listeners for 2019 and um, all our new subscribers um, who, fortunately, we've had uh, an ongoing um, slowly tick of um, new subscribers, haven't we, Mark, over the last year or so? But um, we love our subscribers and keep sending us emails, and we hope everybody has a wonderful festive season whether or not you celebrate um the these particular holidays or not and um we wish you all a, a fantastic 2020 mark um and hopefully it's going to be a great year for everybody um and we look forward to hopefully producing a weekly podcast every week for next year and we will have one next week as you probably realize this one has come out a little bit early on christmas day because we wanted to have a christmas special and um our next podcast will be just over a week away and um we will then can we won't stop will we mark we won't stop will not well we started this um thinking that nobody would listen um, and we're so pleasantly surprised that people find us bantering away for a period of time, uh, something that they can put up with. So we do wish everyone a Merry Christmas and thank them for listening and look forward to sharing uh, 2020 with them. Um, and we will. We're going to stick at it, Brendan, every week. We will. Take care, everyone, and we will see you. I'll talk to you soon. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time